Welcome to the Arate Podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and today's guest is Cameron McKellar, former CEO of the Remington Group in Papua New Guinea and interim CEO of Local Search. It's wonderful to have you along today, and I'm looking forward to introducing Cameron McKellar to you, who I've known for a number of years now in his various CEO capacities with different firms throughout Australia. Before I introduce Cameron to you properly, let me briefly introduce myself for those who have not listened to the Arate podcast before. My name is Richard Triggs, and I'm the managing partner of Arate Executive and we recruit CEOs, senior leaders, and non-executive directors for our clients throughout Australia. And we also provide a range of career coaching and advocacy solutions for senior executives and non-executive directors who are actively looking for a new role. So if I can be of any assistance to you, I welcome the opportunity to have a chat to you about our services. Let me now introduce to you Cameron McKellar. Cameron McKellar began his career in the print industry and has worked for a number of firms both in Australia and overseas in Papua New Guinea. He is a sales and marketing expert as well as having a broad strategic leadership orientation. For approximately two years, he was the CEO of the Remington Group in PNG before returning to Australia and taking on an interim CEO role with Local Search. Most recently, he's been consulting to organisations like Census, the Monodelphus Group, and Orange Digital. Cameron lives in Brisbane with his family. Sit back and enjoy his conversation with Cameron McKellar. So Cameron, uh, thanks very much for joining me on the Arate podcast. It is uh, a bit of a cold and rainy winter's day here in Brisbane. Uh, what have you been up to this morning? Uh, this morning I uh, finished a couple of uh, brief meetings um, and um, yeah endured that tra- early morning traffic on the way into the city and unfortunately uh, it is rainy and miserable in, in Queensland at the moment it is um, but, but that's uh, part of winter absolutely as I say you've got to have rainy days to appreciate sunny they're, days they're good ones and yeah. we have far many of those that's for sure so look Cameron um, I suppose just to begin with uh, why don't you let people know uh, you know what you've been doing most recently professionally yeah sure um, the most recent uh, roles that I've undertaken is essentially uh, I've been business consulting yeah. for the past, uh, well, near two years now. And I've recently completed an assignment with uh, Census, a uh, very large okay. um, business out of uh, Melbourne, sure. where they're looking at um, re-energising their regional strategy. Right. And I assist So they're yellow that. pages, aren't they? Is that yellow right? pages, white pages, right. skip. A number okay. of other brands okay, within right. their business, yeah. So they um, must be really feeling disrupted in terms of what's been happening. What, what have you been doing for those guys? Yeah, very much so. I think, um, you know, um, at the end of the day, they've had year-on-year sort of declining revenues mm-hmm. associated with their print uh, okay. publishing products. Yep. Um, but they've obviously, you know, uh, significantly moved into that digital space. Okay. And in that space, it's certainly been growing mm-hmm. uh, revenues and yield year-on-year, uh, year, but not to the same degree okay. as what they've experienced in their decline of, you know, publishing and printing revenues. Right. 
So I've, um, uh, they identified uh, really a need in their market to grow in the regional space okay. where digital connectivity is not as uh, um, uh, prevalent as yeah. what it is in you know, the metropolitan mm-hmm. locations these days with, you know, with the advent of the NBN rollout. Mm-hmm. And I've been assisting them develop a, a better go-to-market strategy in that digital space, particularly in regional markets right. throughout Australia. Okay, sure. I remember when I first started in recruiting, uh, I was recruiting particularly in the sales area, and it was regarded that salespeople who came through census were, you know, the pick of the bunch. They were regarded as being an excellent training house for uh, for highly skilled salespeople. But, uh, you know, uh, the world has changed dramatically. Yeah, it has. And I think uh, you're absolutely right. Um, incumbent on any organisation is great, mm-hmm. you know, uh, sales training or, or training of any descript to make mm-hmm. sure that you stay ahead of your competition. Mm-hmm. And, and census is certainly leading the pack in that regard. Mm-hmm. They do have a terrific, you know, training uh, module in place for mm-hmm. all of their employees and organisations. Okay. But like every business, sure. you know, they have competition and the market has shifted, you know, dramatically, mm-hmm. uh, particularly into that digital space. Okay. So they, they need some help in that area. All right, great. Well, I'm sure we'll uh, talk a lot more about that later on in this uh, conversation. But uh, why don't we go back to where it all began and and tell us a little bit about where you were born and, you know, uh, early years, mum and dad, brothers and sisters, etc. Yeah, sure. Uh, I was was born in Australia, but I spent the first um, seven or eight years of my life actually up in Papua New Guinea. Okay, right. Both my parents were uh, teachers and um, they secured roles. Uh, obviously, you know, it was part of Australian territory in those mm-hmm. days, uh, late 60s, early 70s. And uh, I spent a few years schooling up there um, in the early 70s and mm-hmm. uh, came back just before independence, mm-hmm. uh, so in about 1974. And certainly, you know, now PNG is regarded as, you know, not for the faint-hearted if you want to live there. What was it like back then? Oh, it was, I guess, as, you know, I have those uh, great childhood memories, you know, which are always very comforting and, mm-hmm. you know, they're nice, warm memories of the place and okay. it was a wonderful place to grow up, you know, in the day where you could spend, you know, 12 hours outside sure. the house, no yeah. TV, right. you know, um, none of those sort of niceties okay. in those days, of course, and so it was a wonderful sort of outdoors lifestyle. So it was quite safe at that time. Yeah, very safe. Yeah, right. um, um, obviously things have changed. Yeah, sure. Subsequent to uh, you know those uh, days of independence. In okay. Seventy five. But right. um, yeah, it's an and interesting place. And brothers and sisters. Four, um, four. Uh, sorry, uh, three sisters. Right. And two half brothers. Wow. Father, okay. by marriage. Yeah. What number were you? I was number two in the second marriage. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, big Christmases. Yeah, big Christmases. Um, obviously, you know, right. uh, a lot of females in the family with right. three sisters and a mother. But yeah, um, yeah it was a great lifestyle and okay. really great upbringing. Okay, great. So, how old were you when you came back to Australia? Uh, I was about eight years old okay. when I came back to Australia. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, then uh, moved back to Sydney, okay. uh, where both my parents were from, and mm-hmm. schooled uh, in Sydney, both primary and secondary school, mm-hmm. and... Uh, yeah, okay. I've enjoyed that sort of lifestyle. I guess it was significantly different to that of PNG, and I found sure. it a little bit difficult to adjust at first. Yeah, was a lot more sort of hectic. Yeah, um, than what it was in PNG. Okay, yeah. and uh, and then uh, finished high school. Finished high school, and um, I actually always had ambitions to be a builder. Right. And um, um, I don't know where it came from. Uh-huh. Neither of my parents were in that game at all. Yeah. 
Um, but I just yeah, decided that that's what I wanted to do and I got an apprenticeship okay. as a carpenter um, in November or December of the year I finished school and over that holiday period where I was meant to start in January, the company, which was originally reasonably large company at the time, went into liquidation. Okay. So I literally had it and lost right. it okay. all in a couple of months and I really didn't know what I wanted to do um, at that time and I um, struggled to find another apprenticeship after that uh, so I decided to go to college and I did a diploma of accounting uh, okay. for a couple of years at Seaforth College in right. Sydney. Right, okay and what was the attraction to accounting? I don't think there was actually any attraction to it at all. I was reasonably good at math at the time and I think it was just for me mm -hmm. to be perfectly candid it was a bit of a filler okay. um, that uh, you know uh, one way of making a decision right. at that point in time. And was it thought perhaps then to go on and complete a degree or you didn't really have any interest in that? Yeah, no, it was to uh, to do that. But um, over time, I realised that I, although, you know, I completed the course and yep. enjoyed it, I, I didn't, you know, I certainly never had ambitions of wanting to become an accountant mm -hmm. at okay. all. So I then um, essentially got an opportunity to do an apprenticeship uh, in graphic arts. Okay. And uh, an uncle of mine owned a business and sort of said, look, why don't you have a think about this? And mm -hmm. I took him up on that offer. And As an actual artist? Yeah, as a graphic artist, so yeah. So were you uh, artistic when you were at school? Um, I, I was probably better than, you know, better than average, okay, but sure. I wasn't one of those highly creative individuals. Right, okay. Yeah, okay. I was actually more probably attracted through the, on the business side of things right. than anything else. Okay. Yeah. And so you went to work for him for some time? Yeah, for four years. Okay. Um, completed my apprenticeship there yeah. and enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it was a real entree into that sort mm -hmm. of media publishing uh, sort of area, mm -hmm. and that was pretty dynamic, you know, back sure. in the 80s. Okay. Uh, and there was a lot of business, yeah, right. in those days. And so, what eventually took you out of that business then? I just, um, both my parents were very encouraging of that sort of typical Australian travel, okay. you know, yeah, go overseas yeah. and enjoy a bit of life yeah. experience and, you know, broaden your horizons. And, yeah, to, my, to credit my parents, you know, they were. Uh, very encouraging of that mm -hmm. and so I spent uh, I literally you know had part-time jobs through you know my um, accountancy period and through uh, the, the graphic arts sort of period mm -hmm. and um, um, saved up enough money to go overseas and spent three years traveling the world. Oh fantastic and what were some of the highlights of that? I worked in France on and off in okay. the winter seasons, right. and so I went to I was the typical Aussie traveller. I went to Europe. I landed yeah. in London, right, and uh, had a couple of uh, friends yeah. uh, there, and uh, they helped sort of guide the way as okay. to you know what to do and what not to do, and right. um, ultimately landed the job in France in a ski resort and uh, spent a couple of winter seasons there, okay. and then just literally took the summers off and toured right. all around Europe, all around North Africa. Okay. But not working as a graphic designer. No, no, right. no, no. Literally, okay. no. Stayed away from all Pouring of the sort beers of, and, and... Yeah, pretty much. And okay. I, was a, I was a guide, so I looked, literally took people skiing all day. Okay, um, yeah, right. Awesome. Which was a great adventure. And uh, But after sort of three, four years, you felt it was time to come home. Yeah, I came home and um, I came back via sort of um, the US and Central America. I spent a lot okay. of time in third world countries in North Africa, uh, okay. as well as Central America. Right. And uh, really well, enjoyed that. What was the attraction to going there? 
I think, um, you know, the simplicity in, in lifestyle and understanding, mm-hmm. you know, how, um, you know, other parts of the world sort of operated. Okay. And, you know, it's one thing to sort of spend, you know, time and money and effort in the wonderful places like Europe, but there's sure. another side to life. And I certainly wanted to understand that a right. little better. Okay, yeah. good. And so uh, when you got back to Australia, what happened then? Um, yeah, it was, I was, guess I was faced with, you know, the, uh, the situation of any young, young guy and that is, what do I do next? Yeah. And I had a, um, a good friend of mine who was in the fashion industry at the time. Okay. And he encouraged me to go and work for a business that, uh, he was in and right. I took up a traineeship, a training management, uh, okay. role yeah. in a ladies wear, uh, company okay. in the wholesaling, uh, side of things, manufacturing and wholesaling. Right. Yeah, spent a year uh, doing that and then got a job working for Trent Nathan, which was a oh, very yeah. big uh, name I remember. in ladies fashion mm-hmm. in, at the time. Okay. Yeah. And what sort of things were you doing with them? I was actually, uh, I got a job running their uh, menswear business. Right. So he had, he was very well known for his ladies fashions and mm-hmm. uh, and had a menswear license as well mm-hmm. and essentially set up a concept store in um Elizabeth Street with mm-hmm. David Jones and, uh, you know, yeah. Right. Um, I spent a couple of years, yeah, running that and okay. their menswear business before he sold his licence again. Right. And that uh, prompted your next move? Yeah, it prompted my next move and I enjoyed the fashion industry. I'd spent a couple of years in it at that stage, two or three years, and um, I then went on to working for a, a company called Icon Merchandising, mm-hmm. which was actually owned by Mambo. Oh, yeah. It was their board short and t-shirt okay. manufacturing and screen right. printing business. Okay. And uh, I became their sales and marketing manager okay. for the next two, three years. Right. Yeah. Did you hang out with Reg at all? Uh, not so much. They had, um, I saw them, uh, the artists from time to time. Right. Um, but it was more about sort of growing their brands beyond just the Mambo label. Right. So things like Surfrider Foundation, mm-hmm. Mad Dog Surfwear. Okay. Um, we did a lot of work for even Warner Brothers up on the okay. Gold Coast here. Where, okay. Yeah, merchandising for their their stores and, and brands that they own. Right. So it was sort of branching beyond just the, the Mambo Streetwear label. Mm-hmm. And so, and it was then that you moved back into the, sort of the print space? Yeah, I got an opportunity. Um, Mambo decided to sell uh, that side of the business. Um, and um, uh, upon doing that, um, I, I was approached uh, by a large uh commercial printing publishing company to come and work for them as a sales and marketing manager mm-hmm. for one of their brands and that company was called PMP mm-hmm. and they were an ASX listed company mm-hmm. top 100 at the time in in those days in about 1996 it was I joined their business okay as sales and marketing manager for a company uh, called Keppel Printing okay and you ended up working with them for about 12 years yeah I had a great career with that organization right that was a obviously a publicly listed company mm-hmm. and um, so it had many facets to the business you know it had a publishing arm it had a distribution arm it had a printing arm and it was literally the largest you know commercial printing distribution publishing company in Australia at the time okay are they still around they are still around but um, but, um, but they are very different to what they were right you know those it's still a public entity and mm-hmm. still exist but in that space of manufacturing and printing, mm-hmm. it has certainly, you know, felt the effects of, mm-hmm. you know, a, a digitised market these days. Sure. And the whole 12 years uh, in Sydney? No, I actually um, had a, uh, a career sort of crafted 
um, you know, running one of their single entities, which was a $25 million sort of turnover uh, business. And as their sales and marketing operating, you know, the, the sales management um, capabilities within that business, mm-hmm. I then got elevated to running a group of businesses um, uh, um, and in charge of um, around 15 to 20 you know, sales representatives at the time, and it was a $70 million sort of portfolio, very much in that retail space. Okay. So dealing with customers like Coles and Woolworths okay, and, yeah. you know, the Kmarts and mm-hmm. Targets of the world, they were very much at the big end of town. Mm-hmm. And then uh, PMP went through a sort of a transformation program themselves, and, you know, they would get consultants in from time to time and look at re-engineering right, and yeah. transforming the business. And okay. I was seen as, I guess, an up and coming, you know, executive within the organisation. Mm-hmm. And they took sort of the 28 different brands that they had within the business and amalgamated them into just literally the PMP group of companies. Okay. So they weren't then known as, you know, Keppel Printing yeah, and, sure. you know, Progress Printing and mm-hmm. Canva Press and mm-hmm. all of the existing brands, mm-hmm. they became PMP. And with that amalgamation, what did that mean for you in terms of your role? Yeah, personally, um, I got the privilege of working with um, you know organisations like KPMG that came in and yeah. did a body of work on the structure of the organisation and where they felt the future of the business you know should sort of aim. Yeah. And um, I was very much working hand in glove with them mm-hmm. on strategy of you know the business and the right sort of structure for the organisation going forward. And um, that was a combination of external market factors and influences and internal data and customer, you know, uh, connections and all of the likes. And out of that, you know, came the formulation of, you know, a national sort of um, business strategy, amalgamating all of the businesses Mm -hmm. and setting up a print division of which I ran the commercial sales operations nationally for that that entity. Right. And was that the sort of the tail end of your career with that business? Uh, no, it sort of morphed in and out from there. So I right. ran five states okay. um, of the business for about the next five years from 2000 to 2005. Mm-hmm. It was a national structured organisation. And like all, well, or like many um, corporate uh, entities and public entities, um, you know, they have CEOs that sort of cycle through from time to time. And in my 12 years, I saw four CEOs sort of come and go through that time. And uh, each one would have a slightly different agenda for Mm -hmm. how they felt the business, um, you know, should be structured. Mm -hmm. And the the last CEO that I worked with essentially took it back to a state-based business structure. So um, that meant, you know, changing the structure of the organisation. Right. And I was asked to uh, move from Sydney to Brisbane to run Queensland as a total P&L operation as opposed to just, you know, running the sales assets of the organisation nationally. Okay, which obviously you did because you're still here. I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I actually loved it. I mean, it was... Yeah, uh, really my first role where uh, I ran the full P&L structure and mm-hmm. the operations as well as the, you know, the sales, um, the administration of the, uh, the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whilst I'd always had influence over those areas in the past, never had total accountability and responsibility for it. Mm-hmm. And Queensland was a, uh, a state that had struggled um, for a little while, for a couple of years. Okay. And um, I was fortunate enough to be able to sort of turn the business around from, um, uh, you know, a business that was sort of floundering in the eyes of the group performance mm-hmm. capability. Mm-hmm. And we turned that business around uh, within 12 months to double okay. the profitability of the, the Queensland operation. Uh-huh. So and so... 
Uh, it was from there that you stepped really into your first CEO role, wasn't it? Well, I actually, um, I actually spent um, uh, probably best part of three years there, and just under three years. Yeah. As general manager of Queensland for PMP, mm-hmm. and at that time, um, I'd pretty much, you know, spent a, a career, you know, twelve years in the business, and um, I was looking for a new challenge. Okay. After right-sizing the business in Queensland, mm-hmm. you know, taking the, um, you know, the profit from three to six million of the business mm-hmm. um, in a short period of time, and built the capabilities of the business, you know, added uh, capacity to the operations of Queensland. And just looking for a change, I think, sure. after 12 and a half years. Okay. And I got a tap on the shoulder um, by a private equity firm called mm-hmm. Gresham, mm-hmm. who had acquired a number of separate print assets at that time, okay. the Penfold Buscombs Group, and they'd rebranded that as Geon. Right. And they wanted to take this $300 million entity to a billion-dollar company. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of, I guess, an excitable opportunity sure. for me. Uh, and they brought me on board, obviously, after a series of discussions and understanding about how they were going to do that through mm-hmm. both organic but a fairly large or, uh, a fairly large um, uh, acquisition strategy mm-hmm. was also in place. Okay. So my job was not only to manage the assets in Queensland but to look at those opportunities beyond and that would bring synergies to the business right. and go and help acquire those assets. Okay. And uh, and you stepped in uh, into the role of CEO? Uh, no, it was actually, it was termed general manager okay. of, yeah, of the Queensland operations at the okay. time. Right. And we reported, oh, I reported into the CEO of the, okay. the Geon group. Okay. And time. how did that all unfold? Well, it was um, it was meant to be, you know, uh, a fantastic journey and ride of acquisition and organic growth, and that was in two thousand and eight. Right. At literally the height of the GFC, mm-hmm. and in those days, um, we literally, um, after I made the move uh, in about July two thousand and eight, um, the business itself, uh, Gian, like many businesses in that space at the time lost about 20% of their revenues, okay. literally overnight. Right. You know, the GFC had such an impact sure. on, you know, media, advertising and mm-hmm. manufacturing, mm-hmm. it was pretty significant. Mm-hmm. So that strategy about growing from 300 to a billion became, you know, more of a strategy of survival sure. at, at the time. Okay. And so, uh, and then it was back to P&G. Yeah, um, I rebuilt that business over a period of sort of three years. Right. So from losing sort of 20 million of, of turnover, and the way I did that was literally, you know, uh, integrate three businesses into one operation, mm-hmm. made it a more sort of profitable entity, looked at those lean manufacturing sort of opportunities that mm-hmm. existed, um, and uh, rebuilt the sales capability of the organisation okay. and the operational capability. Okay. Brought in some new leadership and, uh, and management capabilities that had the ability to essentially start a, as a startup operation as opposed to managing a mature business. Mm-hmm. Ran that for um, uh, three years, bought it back to a profitable entity, and rebuilt the business, you know, to thirty million dollars in, you know, worth of uh, turnover. Mm-hmm. And that's when, you know, the first CEO opportunity sort of okay. came on the horizon. For All right. Me. So tell us about that. Um, I um, yeah got that opportunity uh, after leaving Geon. Yeah. Um, they wanted to uh, further streamline their business operations and uh, integrate. Uh, the East Coast together right. under one sort of general manager, if you like. And at the time, I didn't want to move back to Sydney, mm-hmm. um, so I decided, you know, to leave the business and uh, left it in, you know, great shape. Mm-hmm. Um, and took a 
uh, a consulting role for a German company of all businesses that had acquired an asset in Sydney in the packaging space. Okay. They were a company called STI. Mm-hmm. And um, the business in Australia wasn't performing all that well. Uh, so um, I got an opportunity to sort of help that and re-engineer the business. And literally, you know, it was one of those transformational programs where I'd I uh, lived down there uh, each week for six months right. and commuted back and forward from, you know, from Brisbane, but re-engineered the business, looked mm-hmm. at, you know, all of their cost inputs and uh, and contracts that they had in place, mm-hmm. re-engineered the business. They had actually thought that they had acquired a, uh, a packaging specialist company, but only 40% of their revenues were in that packaging business. The rest was associated with just commercial, okay. you know, printing uh, transactions. And so we, re, you know, we re-established it and turned the the revenues into you know packaging revenues as opposed to you know commercial printing mm-hmm. revenues. There wasn't an opportunity for you to stay on with that business in a permanent capacity. I was offered um, <coughs> uh, the role of uh, MD of the business, um, but at the time um, I chose to take a, an opportunity that you know was presented sort of simultaneous. Um, at the time, uh, to head up a group of diversified businesses in PNG. Oh right, okay, great. Um, and uh, and at that stage, uh, you had a family. Yeah, I had a family, and right. that was really my first, you know, CEO role. Sure. And whilst there was a- absolutely a, a, an attraction to the role with STI mm-hmm. and you know maintaining you know that uh, that business in Sydney, yeah, it was a single stream business, right. and the role in PNG, okay, you know, meant that I was potentially looking at you know four or five different businesses. Sure. And running those entities and, okay. and building on and those. So, did you take your family with you to PNG? I didn't, and that was probably you know one of the challenges uh, sure. of taking an overseas role at the time. And uh, PNG is a very different environment to that of you know many of the South Eastern or you know sure. uh, the Oceanic sort of countries, if you like. And there are a lot of sort of social problems and yeah. security challenges there. So yes, I've been there many times. So and, there was a yeah, there is. was a lot of discussion with my sure. family at the time as to whether it was right and um, mm. we collectively decided that it was. And okay. yeah, I went there and lived there um, without my family, but commuted back every month to a couple of months. Um, which was a challenging right uh, because I mean you were there for almost two years almost two years and um, uh, the business you know I ran there was the Remington group of companies and Mm -hmm. they were essentially a private uh, privately uh, run business Um, and uh, you know they were an eclectic group of companies there was a satellite communications company there was a boutique hotel right there was um, they owned the rights to you know Konica Minolta office equipment in the business and that was a very big part of their operation and they had a finance company as well and they were all independent right and how did that opportunity come up on your radar then it was literally a consulting opportunity initially right um but before i you know uh was considered for that the Mm -hmm. recruiter at the time sort of contacted me and said look uh uh, the consulting opportunity is no longer apparent yeah and the the incumbent ceo is wanting to retire right so they're now looking for a ceo and that's what the attraction was to me and so what do you think it was about you um that gave them the confidence that you could step one into a completely new environment, being in PNG, and two, take over you know a bunch of businesses, some of which you would have had some exposure to, but others you know none at all, um, and you know feel confident that Cameron is the right guy to actually you know make a fist of this and and uh, and run it well. 
Yeah, I guess that's a great question, to be honest, uh, Richard. And at the time, you know, I'd had a lot of uh, sort of experience in yeah. manufacturing operations and commercial experience in business turnarounds mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as well through my experience at uh, Geon. Mm-hmm. And I think that was an, a natural attraction for them. Some of their businesses were going really well and yeah. others weren't going so well. Right. They did have a, uh, a printing business as well okay. that needed a, a turnaround. Yeah. And that was one of the attractions, I guess, from my experience. Sure. And being able to you mm. know, uh, look at that and, and provide the necessary experience mm-hmm. in re-engineering the business. And given that that was your first sort of permanent CEO role, what do you think were some of the areas that you identified in yourself that, okay, if I'm stepping into this role, these are the things that I really need to focus on developing in order to give me you know, a well-rounded capability as a CEO? Yeah, I guess throughout all of my roles, I've never sort of thought about it as that's my title and at the end of the day, you know, that's, uh, I guess, limitations or or that's, you know, pigeonholed me into these set sort of set, you know, criteria or areas of capability. At the end of the day, I've always been a very hands-on operator, Mm -hmm. you know, at whatever role I've sort of certainly, you know, taken. And um, I played, applied, I guess, the same methodology there at mm-hmm. the end of the day. They were a group of businesses that were independently operating, albeit that they were owned by the same shareholder. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I, I guess what I recognised within the businesses is they didn't leverage each other's um, assets mm-hmm. in any way, shape or form or relationships. And it wasn't really a group. So I set about sort of formulating a strategy you know, to create a group of companies okay. that did leverage, you know, the relationships and the opportunities from, you know, each of those businesses. Mm-hmm. So I created a group shared services model, um, which required, you know, bringing in uh, other talent to the organisation. Mm-hmm. So, so we brought a CFO into the group mm-hmm. to create that reporting, you know, capability um, and to get, you know, the financial um, uh, metrics in mm-hmm. the right sort of situation for the group. Uh, a group marketing manager and, you know, head of HR. Sure. I know uh, you'd done your Diploma of Accounting earlier in your business career. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're getting to the point of stepping into a role as CEO, I mean, were there particular mentors that you were using for strategic advice? I know you had the experience of working with companies like KPMG and no doubt, you know, getting the opportunity to learn, you know, from working closely with those people. but. Uh, I mean, stepping into P&G and amalgamating various groups and bringing a shared service model and so on, I mean, that's quite a significant undertaking. How did you, uh, you know, ensure that you had the skills necessary to actually deliver that effectively? Yeah, I think first and foremost, um, you know, one of the things that you establish yourself in any role, whether it's CEO, general manager, or, you know, heading up any sort of uh, business, is to make sure that you've got the support, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, around you. And I had the confidence and support of the board, uh, the Remington Group at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and that's a big factor in it, you know, leveraging the relationships sure. that you have in uh, uh, not only the board, but the general management, the structure that exists within the organisation at the time. And I guess there's always going to be areas of competency that you need, you know, to bring to to the business. Mm -hmm. And I've always been one to understand my limitations Mm -hmm. and at the end of the day, uh, not be too proud to sort of say, well, we need expertise from Mm -hmm. other parts of the business, whether they be internal or external. Mm -hmm. And I certainly did work with uh, organisations like Deloitte and PwC and P&G as well on aspects of, you know, the, the business. 
you know, up there. Okay, so, sure. Yeah. And so what was it eventually that uh, made you want to return back to Australia? Well, unfortunately, it was more of a, a personal uh, situation more than anything. Obviously, living a, away from your family, mm-hmm. you know, in, a, in another country is um, challenging in itself. But uh, my son at the time, you know, having four kids myself, uh, my son was going through year 12 and he was having, uh, you know, a good deal of difficulty uh, mm-hmm. with his father living overseas. Yeah. And um, I made the, you know, the personal choice to come back sure. and support him okay. through that period of his mm-hmm. life. And, okay. Yeah, pleasingly, he's now, you know. Right. You know, successfully completed year 12 and he's gone on to uh, university down in Tasmania okay. to start a career in aquaculture. Right. But at the time, it was a very difficult choice, of course. Sure. Um, um, but you always make those family choices. Yeah, I, you okay. know, I'm constantly uh, recruiting and talking to senior executives who are commuting away from their families for long periods of time. I mean, it, it's a huge uh, choice to make, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Uh, granted, the professional experience is invaluable and, you know, often the income opportunity is yes. great for building an asset for your family and so on, but to not being available for your kids through those... Uh, uh, critical years is um, is a, a choice that you know I think many people come to regret if they had made the the different choice to what you did. No, you're absolutely right. And whilst the opportunity to you know head up a diversified group of uh, businesses in PNG as a CEO was a wonderful opportunity. Um, you know, it really was a fairly easy choice to come back sure. at the end of the day to help support your family. Yeah. yeah. So you came back and went to work for Local Search. Yeah, I did. Um, I, I guess just you know, finishing off on the PNG experience um, for a second is that my time there was really about restructuring the business and, and creating you know a growth platform, and a lot of it was through a combination of organic and acquisition activities. And uh, over my near two years in that role, I grew the business by seventy five percent, which mm. I'm quite you know, proud of sure. uh, as an as a personal achievement. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But coming back, yes, um, naturally had to find a role back here, and um, I was fortunate enough to step into a role fairly quickly. Um, uh, coming back to Australia as the CEO, uh, interim CEO, for a, um, a business down on the Gold Coast called Local Search. Uh-huh. And what were they all about? Local Search is a privately owned uh, business and they operate in that um, directory space, okay. uh, very tailored toward the SME uh, market. Right and um, compete with the likes of census and mm-hmm. yellow pages and white pages mm-hmm. and you know in that digital directory space mm-hmm. uh, these days and they had established themselves as a uh, commercial business 21 years ago in one regional location i think rockhampton right. was their very first um, uh, established business and they had built the business up over 21 years mm-hmm. to have a turnover of some $55 million when I joined the business mm-hmm. and, you know, highly profitable business operating in 30, you know, 30 odd, 34 markets uh, in regional Australia, mm-hmm. but very much in regional Australia, not metropolitan sure. markets. And so the intent was always we need a, you know, an interim CEO for a 12 month period. Yeah, I think the reality of um, you know four private shareholders right. owning and operating a business over 21 years, you know they'd sort of come in and out of the business okay. at any given time, and right. they'd all had a go at you know running and steering the business and done a terrific job. Yeah. Um, but I think after 21 years, they were 
a little bit tired of each other. Right. Um, you know, and sure. had different motivations about okay. you know, what they wanted to do. So they agreed that they needed someone um, from outside of the organisation to come in and, and help steer the business. And they did have great ambition that they did, you know, really want to grow the business mm-hmm. um, from a $55 million business to a $100 million okay. business. But just didn't have the energy personally at right. that stage you know, to, to do it. And so what was the intention? You'd come in, you know, uh, set the new strategy, uh, essentially, you know, uh, run it for 12 months. And then and when you were appointed, you know, at the beginning, what were they saying? Well, what's going to happen in 12 months' time? Yeah, there was always that uh, sort of view that uh, it would be a longer, uh, you know, role than, than 12 months, okay. even though that was the, you know, uh, the concept at the time. Right. Um, but, you know, like anything is that mm. they were in a state of flux. It was a very, you know, good business. Sure. Uh, you know, they had um, terrific sort of competencies and capabilities in the organisation, mm-hmm. but it was still a, a small-minded business. Mm-hmm. You know, um, a lot of people had sort of grown up mm-hmm. in the organisation um, but there were a lot of structural issues. There were a lot of governance issues that just weren't in place. Right. So my, I guess, expertise and capability was to focus on mm-hmm. creating a structure and a platform for that business to actually grow from $55 million to $100 million. Right. And that meant not only looking at the capability within the organisation, but the external capability mm-hmm. and what it needed, you know, to adapt, um, you know, to those those necessary changes. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, not only the physical capacity of the business and um, it was the mental capacity within the organisation. And did it really have a genuine appetite, you know, to want to organically grow? Mm-hmm. And so in that 12-month period, you know, what were some of the things that you were able to achieve so that when you left, you left it in a better condition than when you started? Yeah, it's a fair question. Um, when I came into the organisation, you know, they had a, a, a series of governance issues that, um, you know, needed correction. They, they needed a proper board structure to be put in place and I, you know, helped put, affect mm-hmm. that um, mm-hmm. uh, with non-executive uh, directors as, mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as looking at, you know, they were outsourcing their financial capabilities mm-hmm. and for a $55 million business when you want to control those activities. Sure. So I brought on a, uh, a CFO, mm-hmm. brought on a, uh, an HR manager mm-hmm. um, to look after a lot of the sort of cultural imperatives mm-hmm. of the organisation. You know, growing from 55 to $100 million business mm-hmm. requires a different sort of energy in the business. Sure. You need, you know, proper onboarding capabilities. Mm-hmm. You're obviously going to increase, mm-hmm. you know, the, the skill level of the business and the personnel, mm-hmm. you know, within the organisation. So you need people to be able to take care of those elements of the organisation, as well as, you know, solving a number of um, uh, litigation cases that uh, Telstra had actually, you know, put on okay. uh, local search a number right. of years earlier, which okay. were just festering in the background. Uh-huh. And I brought resolution to those right. uh, at the end of the day, as well as restructured the organisation mm-hmm. so it then had the ability to grow into new markets mm-hmm. and geographically expand. So they operated in Northern Territory, uh, Queensland and New South Wales, mm-hmm. and the organic opportunities were really about Victoria, South Australia and right. Western Australia over you know the subsequent years. And then at the end of 12 months, job done. Job done. Yeah, I think um, 
and you know, I know, I know this is me saying it, but you know, I, you know, significantly added to the profitability and the structure of the organisation. It grew significantly, you know, from fifty-five to near sixty-one million mm-hmm. in that twelve-month period itself. Mm-hmm. Significantly increased the profitability of the business. Mm-hmm. You know, just from you know some, some sort of common sense approaches to you know their contracts and mm-hmm. how they did things sort of internally. Um, but I think it also re-energised, you know, some of the shareholders within the business. One mm-hmm. in particular, uh, the second largest shareholder of that business, you know, ultimately said he wanted to then take over the reins and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, sure. take the CEO role from there okay. at, at the end of the day. That, uh, well, you know, I suppose uh, when you work in those style of businesses, that just comes with the territory. Yeah, it comes with the territory. And yeah. I knew that that was, you know, potential right. at the time. And so since then... Uh, You've had a, a number of uh, consulting gigs with some pretty uh, significant businesses, Census, Monodolphus, etc. Yeah, I was um, fortunate again at the end of my tenure, um, you know, with local search. Um, there was an opportunity with Monodelphus, which was mm. sort of, you know, complete sort of left of field, uh, sure. I guess. I had never worked really in that mining engineering space, um, but there was a particular strategy that they had in mind for their business. Obviously, um, with you know, Australia coming off, you know, the mining boom, the mm-hmm. resources boom, um, businesses like Monodelphus, who are an ASX, you know, top 200 mm-hmm. company, they are looking at strategies about, you know, mm-hmm. where they can grow their business. And P&G came on their horizon as a particular opportunity. So I did, um, I worked with uh, that business for a okay. three-month period. So um, the attraction was to take advantage of your P&G experience? Experience, yeah, right. absolutely. Okay. So I did a body of work around, you know, identifying, you know, key projects in mm-hmm. P&G, particularly in the oil, gas and mining space, as mm-hmm. well as, you know, government infrastructure projects mm-hmm. that would be properly sort of aligned okay. with the engineering capabilities of Monodelphus. Okay. Um, but like everything is that it's one thing to sort of say, you know, that's of interest for us, but, you know, they are a public entity mm-hmm. uh, and, um, you know, they have a, a, an appetite for certain risk or they have mm-hmm. a risk profile and PNG is a very, you know, um, uh, difficult you know, country to operate in when you have no experience, sure. you know, yep. in, in that environment. Mm-hmm. So, okay. yeah, I, I did a body of work for them. They were very good, very ambitious with some of the things that they wanted to do. And we identified about $28 billion worth of oil, gas and mining projects with a sort of a five-year horizon. And, yeah, it was a fairly successful, you know, project for them. Right. So uh, you've had a very interesting career. You've worked in private enterprise, family enterprise. You've worked in listed companies. You've worked in interim roles and permanent roles. You've worked in Australian P&G. You know, I mean, uh, it's certainly not the road... uh, uh, Well, I should say it's the road less travelled in terms of, uh, you know, people building their CV. I imagine over that time... um, you know, through all of these various um, uh, different types of cultures and experiences and so on, you've uh, developed some of your own philosophies around leadership. And, uh, you know, a big part of this podcast is for people listening in who are aspiring to becoming CEOs in the future. You know, what would be some of the key lessons you learn along the way or the key pieces of advice that you'd offer to people who are wanting to, uh, you know, uh, achieve those kind of outcomes themselves? Yeah. For me, I think, Richard, it's probably, again, less about the role and more about persons, you know, 
personal development uh, into you know something bigger and better mm-hmm. um, for their own sort of career aspirations. And I guess the, there's probably been three core elements um, that I've tended to focus on in each of my roles, mm-hmm. um, be it you know sales manager, general manager, or CEO of an organisation. And it's largely around people. Right. You know, getting the support uh, and the right people into those, you know, the, the necessary roles of an organisation. The next element is about strategy um, and having the right strategies, you know, defined and buy-in from, you know, the, the employee base that you have. Mm-hmm. And the last element is literally outcome. It's driving the outcomes in order to grow, you know, a, a business over time. Mm-hmm. So if you think about the people element firstly, I mean... Uh, attracting, retaining, you know, top talent is challenging. Yep. Uh, you know, what are some of the ways that you've been able to successfully do that? I think um, through personal connections, okay. first and foremost. And, you know, for me, it's about using the collective intelligence of a business right. you know, in order to establish, you know, a great growth platform for a business. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's easy to sort of say, you know, to hang your hat on, you know, whether you've grown a business by 75% sure. or you've turned the profit around from loss to profit. Yeah. And those are just milestones and, um, and achievements. But to be honest, it's seeing the collective intelligence of an organisation and that team ethos mm-hmm. in order to turn a business around from profit to loss. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that I take great credit mm-hmm. in. Okay, so other than obviously developing a personal connection with the, the team, what are some of the other ways that you uh, you know collectively bring teams together and get them to commit to you know driving the outcomes around particular strategies? Yeah, I think it goes back to what I mentioned a little bit before is to make sure, first and foremost, that you have the right people, Mm -hmm. you know, that um, have the same sort of aspirations of of business that you do. And Mm -hmm. sometimes you need to make some fairly difficult decisions about those, as I have in Mm -hmm. some of my previous roles at the end of the day. Um, But it is about, you know, getting the best out of the Mm -hmm. people that you have on the team Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, sitting down with them, talking about expectations. And that's not just about the business expectations that's about the expectations that they have on you mm-hmm. um, at the end of the day sure because like everything it's a two-way street yep. and um, people want to grow in an organization and I think if you can share an understanding of where the business needs to go but have empathy about where that individual also wants to go within an organization that is a significant part of the success of an organization mm-hmm. and so in terms of your own career now looking into the future you know what are the things that you're excited about doing and you know where if we were having this conversation in you know five years time what would you hope to have uh, achieved professionally uh, between now and then yeah I guess that's the $64 question isn't it really uh, I'm a very sort of I guess ambitious uh, individual in in some ways mm-hmm. um, uh, and you know I, I whilst I may not see uh, my next role is necessarily a CEO mm-hmm. of an organisation. Um, I, I definitely want to use my experience of my past 20 years, mm-hmm. you know, in running commercial business operations mm-hmm. to benefit, you know, another business, whether that be in, you know, the public space or whether it be in the private sector. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, uh, I'm certainly looking at both mm-hmm. those at the moment. And given, you know, the uh, sort of sectors, uh, particularly in relation to, uh, media and packaging and so on being so heavily disrupted 
3D printing and you know packaging on demand and you know what's happening in terms of the disruption uh, to the media space. Where do you see the opportunities? You know, when you when you look out at the market, what are the kind of things that you get excited about? Yeah, I think um, you know that uh, digital disruption piece is part of the fabric of every business. You know, whether you be in manufacturing or whether you be, you know, in just the pure digital landscape these mm-hmm. days. It's just apparent in anyone's business and technology plays a big role in every organisation, whether it be just at an enterprise, you know, uh, operating systems uh, element or whether it be actually driving the strategy and the intent Mm -hmm. of of the organisation. And I think, to be honest, you know, um, that's the piece that every uh, uh, leader, general manager, CEO needs to look at mm-hmm. as to how technology can benefit mm-hmm. you know, a strategy of an organisation. And I certainly want to be you know, uh, looking at that with any future organisation. Mm-hmm. You know, that digital piece is very important, mm-hmm. you know, I feel. And do you think that uh, in general Australian leaders are paying enough attention to that? I think so. Um, it's like anything. It it has such an appetite for change. Mm-hmm. You know, you you look at any of the uh, the digital leaders mm-hmm. uh, of the business, and you know, they those environments change so rapidly these days. You mm-hmm. know, they they work on you know a twelve week sort of cycle of digital change, mm-hmm. and those that can gravitate to that, you know, mm-hmm. those sort of outcomes certainly lead the pack. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but yeah, I think most businesses certainly have an understanding for the need for technology and mm-hmm. digital impacts within their business. Not everyone necessarily has the right strategy mm-hmm. at the moment. And what about in terms of your professional development? Uh, when you're thinking about where you're at now, how do you keep your own sort of knowledge base current and dynamic and uh, uh, and continuing to grow? Yeah, I think um, uh, group associations you know, is a big one, um, being across um, uh, industry associations um, is very big. And obviously LinkedIn and networking these days are just uh, sort of 101 strategies of any business, you know, these days. And having that personal connectivity, um, you know, in this type of environment is really important. Mm -hmm. Well, that's an excellent sort of little segue to say that uh, in the show notes, uh, we'll put a link to Cameron's LinkedIn profile, and I'm sure uh, you'd be interested in people reaching out to you via LinkedIn. And uh, and so just before we close out, because I know that you've got a very busy day ahead, you know, I like to uh, ask, uh, we've talked a lot about business today, but when you're not at work, uh, what are the kind of things that you enjoy doing with your family uh, to keep you uh, fresh and the petrol tank full, etc.? Yeah, that's, um, that's a great one, Richard. At the end of the day, you know, I've got a fairly large family with four kids sure. of my own, but they're all sort of in those uh, grown-up phases now mm-hmm. to have um, essentially finished university and to, you know, now at university in different states. Um, whilst family is very important to me, you know, keeping fit and healthy is also important. I do a, you know, a bit of bike riding myself. Okay. Yeah. You're and, a mammal. Yeah, one of those. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if that's good or bad. But right. Yeah, I enjoy it. Oh, yeah. that's good. And yeah. so uh, what kind of riding do you do? Uh, I do road riding. Right, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. And uh, any exciting holidays done. planned uh, in the near future? I just actually came back. I uh, had right. a short break after my last uh, consultancy role with Census right. and um, took three weeks to go on tour of Vietnam and Cambodia. Oh, fantastic. And they were two wonderful countries. Right. Yeah, highly recommend. So harking back to your experience as a young guy, uh, you know, living it up in Europe and then going and seeing uh, some other areas of 
perhaps uh, less uh, fortunate parts of the world. Yeah, yeah. But two wonderful countries that are obviously, you know, in that Asian belt and have a voracious appetite for growing themselves. And sure. Yeah, it's really apparent. You can see the, the development that's taking place mm. in both those countries at the moment, which mm. is significant. Okay, yeah. great. Well, look, Cameron, I uh, really appreciate your time and have a fantastic afternoon. You're welcome. Thank you very much, Richard. It's a pleasure. Well, thanks again for joining me today. I look forward to having you along for future episodes of the Arrow Tape Podcast. And in the meantime, have a fantastic day.